0: Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Disney's Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, now an Emmy nominee for Outstanding Television Movie. The Hollywood Reporter raves, it's the funniest movie of the year. Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers has its cheese and eats it too. It's joyous and brilliant, an absolute blast from start to finish. This award season, consider a comeback. Disney's Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. It's now streaming only on Disney+. This is Rob Long with Martini Shot for The Ankler. There was a show on Snapchat, which is a sentence that I was somehow destined to write, called Phone Swap. Listen, what? People are going to watch little video shows on Snapchat? I don't think so. Is something a very arrogant and foolish person once said to me a couple of years ago? Okay, something I said to someone else, but let's not make this a game of gotcha. We're all rolling with the changes here. The show had a pretty simple setup. Two people on a blind date on screen. They meet, they talk, and then the game starts. The game actually is, these young people are told for the first time, phone swap you and the other person exchange phones you and the other person on screen root through the other's phone messages photos emails whatsapp chats tinder messages browser history everything in other words you get to do a deep dive into the other person's digital box of shame and embarrassment and then decide if you actually want to date each other this was a real show, and it was, you know, it was actually pretty good, funny, a little excruciating, and on Snapchat, which seems like a place where a lot of secret and shameful things get done and sent around. So it was a case of very on-brand content. It's basically a game about being embarrassed and mortified and having your creepy secrets come tumbling out. And one of the reasons, I think, that it only lasted a short time was once people knew what the show was really about, letting someone ransack your phone on camera, they wanted nothing to do with it. We'll do almost anything to avoid being embarrassed, which is why embarrassment is the key to making something truly funny. But there's a difference in show business anyway between personal mortification, like someone saw my nudes on my phone, and professional humiliation, like I did a stupid thing in a meeting. For instance... In olden times, when half-hour comedies were on TV a lot, we wrote them mostly as a group in something called The Room, which usually meant a large conference room with a table and chairs and a big sofa and a whiteboard and lots of empty takeout containers. It's almost always a big room, it has to be, to hold all of those writers and their anger, but it also has to be big enough so that a young writer has someplace to look while his or her eyes fill up with tears and the lower lip trembles, just slightly like custard, because there's an awful lot of good-natured, of course, kidding that goes on in those rooms. One thing we used to like to do to the youngest writer on staff is wait for him or her to make a useful suggestion during a rewrite session, something like, I don't know, maybe we could end D-scene in the elevator, and then one of us, usually me, would turn to him and say something like, that is really not helpful. God, that is a, dear Lord, that's a terrible idea. You really need to work on your pitches. And then the young writer will inevitably turn away slightly with a mortified half-smile on his or her face, and tears will form heavy half-moons on the lower eyelids, and face the whiteboard, lower lip will do that custardy shiver. And then I'd say brightly to the group, hey gang, I've got a great idea, how about we end the D scene in the Elevator? And the rest of the staff, who were all in on it, of course, would nod vigorously to agree with me and clap me on the back and say stuff like, great idea, boss, and brilliant, and you saved the show. And we'd watch the young writer's face go from confusion to shock to anger to a kind of queasy joy because I'm not stupid. I didn't make a bad pitch. They're just really mean. And... That's an example of how professional embarrassment can actually work. The new guy gets a little jocular teasing and then feels like part of the team. Professional humiliation doesn't always turn out that way. I ran into an old friend once. Well, just to clarify, it's probably too much to call him an old friend. We don't really know each other, but we do share an interesting connection. Years ago, he was a guest star on a television series of mine. Again, to clarify, guest star in the TV business doesn't really mean star or even guest. It's just one more Hollywood euphemism like manager of comedy for the just promoted assistant or dialogue coach for memorization helper or well, old friend for a guy who appeared on a show I was doing. See, a guest star is sometimes crudely called a day player, a name that day players hate because they're paid by the day. But that doesn't sound upscale enough. So now we say guest star and that makes everybody feel better because that's what we do in show business when we don't want to pay you more. We just upgrade your title a little bit because titles are free. And money costs money. So my old friend was a guest star on a series I did, and this is many, many years ago. It was very early in his career, very early in mine, and I had really forgotten it, mostly. So when we ran into each other, it was at a party, and it was one of those things where you, you never know if you're supposed to say that you've actually met, or that you remember each other, or just let yourselves be introduced as if for the first time. And in this case, it was slightly more awkward because for some reason, I actually vividly recall. The last time we met, which was on a soundstage when he was a guest star, because for some reason, that single line of dialogue he had to say just one sentence while crossing the stage gave him a lot of trouble. Multiple takes kind of trouble, meaning he kept going up on the line, which is a Hollywood euphemism for messing it up by the sixth or seventh time. He was clearly having a minor breakdown, but he managed to get through it on like the 10th take. And we moved on, or at least I moved on. He apparently never moved on. So when we met again at the party, I was prepared to do that thing where you pretend it's the first time, but he was not. You remember the line I ruined, right? He asked. And when I pretended that I didn't, because I was still doing that let's pretend thing, and when I committed that, I'm in, he said, come on, let's not do this. And then he began to recall that moment laughing, I guess. I mean, it was a long time ago. And then I pretended that it was all coming back to me. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And then someone asked if he remembered the line and he looked me in the eye and he recited without hesitation the single line of dialogue that had given him so much trouble all those years ago. Wow, you remember the line, I said. Remember it, he said. I say it to my children, If we called my daughter right now and I said the first two words, she could finish the line. Gosh, I'm sorry that this has haunted you, I said, even though I thought it was kind of cool. I have no idea why it gave me so much trouble, he said, but I knew I was falling apart when some of the atmosphere came up to me. Atmosphere, by the way, is a Hollywood euphemism for extras. And they told me that it was okay, that this kind of thing happened all the time, but that maybe I should think about becoming one of them which he didn't, but what he did was he quit the business and got into real estate, at which he is enormously successful. That moment 20 years ago may have haunted him, and it clearly bored his kids, but he got over it. And when we met again years later, it was something we could laugh about, but I couldn't help thinking, you just quit being an actor? It was that bad? I know an actor who had his first role in a major TV comedy. It was a guest starring role. He played a guy in an office, I think. But between the time he shot the show and the time the show was going to air, he had moved to a small town and was tending bar there. He's waiting to save up some money to come back to L.A. and restart his career. So when he found out that his episode was going to air, he let it slip that he was in it. And the town turned out to see their favorite bartender on screen. The local TV guy came. The local newspaper came. Everybody came. Everybody came. But what the actor didn't know, what he didn't even know was possible, was if he had been cut out entirely. We used to do that a lot for time for a lot of reasons. When you're cutting a show, you almost always cut the guest star part first. So imagine the town gathered in the bar because he had said he was on a TV show, the newspaper, the TV station, everyone watching the show together, and he's not in it? Was he lying? Now, that would have been a humiliating and unrecover from disaster. But it turned out that he had not been cut. His scene was intact, and everybody cheered. He was a town hero. He came back to L.A. to resume his career, which I'm pretty sure is still going on. Although, if I was going to rewrite that story, which I'm not, I would definitely go the other way. Humiliation. So much funnier. Also so much truer. So I told you all that, so i could tell you this. This is the part where I show you my phone. Once in a meeting, I said a colossally stupid thing. Here's how it went down, the bare bones anyway. I'm not terribly interested in giving what journalists call the complete TikTok of events. I'm still a little embarrassed by it all. And for reasons that only a highly trained clinical psychologist could explain, I think that by sharing my stinging shame with thousands of listeners, that'll somehow make it better. So I'm in a meeting with a TV network about a script that they like, that I'm involved with. They're actively interested in producing the script. I'm actively trying to make that happen because... Well, in the first place, I love the script. I think it'll make a terrific show. And in the second place, I like this network a lot, and I'm a huge fan of what they're doing on their shows. In other words, from the moment we all sit down together and make small talk and sip from our water bottles, it's a positive creative meeting. Where we want to go with the series is where they want to go with the series. Their concerns are our concerns. Our casting hopes are their casting hopes. It's about as collaborative and fun as a meeting can be. By 30 minutes in, we're all just exhausted from loving each other so much, which is is the time to quickly get up and leave because if you let a terrific meeting go on even one second longer than it should, someone is going to say something stupid. That someone was me. As we're all wrapping it up, I refer to a show on their network that I particularly love and I lavish it with a compliment and there is silence. The room turns thick with awkwardness. And then someone says, we like that show too, but it's not on our network. Now, the right thing to do there is to laugh and apologize profusely. But that's not what I did. Because for the very life of me, and I would have bet $1 million on this, I could have sworn that the show was on their network. And my brain sort of froze up because what I wanted to say was, I think you're mistaken. I think the show is on your network. But another part of my brain was shouting, stop talking, stop talking. They know what shows are on their network. That's the minimum requirement for working there. So the question is, what happened to my brain? How could I make that mistake? to which there are two basic answers. One is that I'm an idiot. I often speak without fully vetting my words. And two, and these are not mutually exclusive, of course, I'm experiencing that particular show as a fan, not as a TV insider. Fans don't know or really care what channel a show is on. Fans, especially these days, watch TV from a playlist. Fans, at least this one anyway, can't keep track of the network that airs a certain show because, as that phrase suggests, TV has changed radically since shows were aired or broadcast or scheduled on a night of the week. So. Yeah, I said a stupid and embarrassing thing, but in a way, it was kind of a compliment. I associate my favorite shows with that network, and also a kind of a sign of the new TV industry in which individual shows have more prominence and power than the network they appear on. At least, that's what I tell myself when I think about that moment and wince, which, by the way, sharing the story with thousands of people has not abated. That's what I tell myself when I think about my actor friend who left the business entirely. That's what I tell myself when I remember that in the entertainment industry and probably every other industry, every meeting, any meeting can easily turn into an episode of Phone Swap. And that's it for this week. Next week, we will identify the problems with your work. For The Ankler, this is Rob Long.